Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Runner's World Podcast, the weekly podcast bringing you all the latest running news, views and interviews. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, what have we got coming up on this week's episode? This week, we are discussing running books. Uh, Rumour has it, Ben, you've been spotted in the parks of central London doing something that looks suspiciously like running. Are you on the comeback trail? Oh, God, yeah. No, uh, yes, I, I've, I've been on three runs. Yeah, they've been fine. Uh, it's quite nice to be moving again. It feels quite hard. Just as a, a brief reminder to everyone who's out there running at the moment, it's hard. It's really difficult. I'd, like it's, uh, six weeks, eight weeks of not running and then running again. And it's like, wow, that hurts quite a lot. But, you, but your knee is okay. Is that fair to say? Knees are all right. Yeah, I have to, I'm running very slowly. I'm building up a base. Excellent. As they do in the trade. Well, yeah. I, haven't so been, I haven't been running at all, Ben, this week because, um, oh, well, God. around 100 miles last weekend. I don't like to talk about it, though. No, I haven't mentioned it. Um, but it's ha- been nice, actually. How are your legs now? Getting there. Yeah, getting there. Uh, slightly sore right knee, but feeling increasingly um, okay. And I reckon I might have a go at 10k PB next. Seems like the logical place to go after 100 miles. Does it? Is there <laughs> logic to that? Just sounds like you're picking numbers. <laughs> Things that have a one and a zero. Well, we'll see how, we'll see how it works out. I reckon it's time to welcome our guest of the week. Guest of the week. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio or a complete unknown. Welcoming to the studio, complete unknowns, Andy Dixon and John Carroll. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. You are our valued and esteemed colleagues at Runners World, so thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. A pleasure. Great to be here. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, a great pleasure to be here. <laughs> Today we're discussing our favourite running books. Uh, before we begin, some rules. So each reader is given three largely in uninterrupted minutes to make the case for their book before we open the floor to questions. No biting, no gouging, no strikes below the bell. Andy, as editor-in-chief at Runners World, you get to begin. So your three minutes on your favourite running book starts now. And he's off. Um, <laughs> so my book is called Two Hours, and it's by Ed Caesar. Um, and it's subtitled The Quest to Run the Impossible Marathon, so obviously the sub-two marathon. The, the title is a little bit um, misleading because it's actually about the history of, of marathon running and, and the history of the marathon itself. 
Uh, it's that rare thing. It's a book about running that I think would appeal to non-runners. It's just a brilliant sports book. Um, it's written with the pacing and the narrative economy and the drama of a thriller. It really um, pelts by like a, like a great race, I suppose. Um, it's a little over 200 pages, 10 chapters. You can read it in a couple of days. And it's just really compelling. Um, it's got two main strands in it. One, one strand is the um, story of the Kenyan elite runner, Jeffrey Mutai, and his kind of upbringing. He's a Kalenjin uh, runner from Kenya, born into terrible poverty. He's uh, the eldest of 11 children, born into a one-room house, often beaten by his father. It's a kind of rags-to-riches story, which I think we're probably... Um, quite familiar with with Kenyan runners but actually we we also just take it for granted one of the great uh, parts of the book is where Ed Caesar talks about the leading marathoners uh, generally Kenyan or Ethiopian and they just seem effortless to us They're and all of the slog and the work that they put in to get where they they are um, we just assume that it's effortless and actually what he does is go into the nitty-gritty so he watches Mutai training in Kenya when you know he, he talks about when Mutai was 18, um, you know, Lionel Messi was already at Barcelona earning millions, Jeffrey Mutai was breaking stones in a quarry, mm. and, and it's just and he brings the same approach to his training, he just breaks stones. Um, you know, the guts and the effort is really hard. Um, it's not at all romantic. He talks about alcoholism in Kenya, he talks about uh, the civil war, he talks about doping in Kenya um being widespread so it's a real clear-eyed view um and then interspersed with that is the history of the marathon and also how it's developed from ancient greece into the 1896 olympics and uh, you know that that kind of familiar narrative um but you know you could read this book and have a good grounding on the history of the marathon why it's so great why there's so much drama and He's really clear-sighted on the, the quest for two hours. This was written, actually, in 2015, uh, before the Nike Sub-2 attempt. And he pretty much nails it. He says it will be done on not in a race. It'll be done on a flat course, a loop, uh, with a weather window. Shoes will have got better. They have. Uh, the asphalt might need to change. Nutrition will be better. And actually, all of those things, as we've seen came to pass so that's a, that just is a signal of how well researched this book is that he kind of nails what the two-hour marathon attempt will be yeah uh, time's <laughs> up. excellent excellent case for two hours there yeah you're so right about how prescient is it is about because he calls it the moonshot marathon doesn't yeah he? and at the time it's like i remember reading that thinking well that doesn't sound very likely that they're going to do that and then what two or three years later well, there was, exactly those conditions. There was the paper, wasn't there, that started it all. There's a scientific research paper that was like 1993 or something. It was probably uh, 91. 91. Yeah. So that was like the, the 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 science and the math behind what would need to be done for the for the sub two, mm. and that sort of spurred into the project itself. And then I guess there's the sort of that's when the sort of the wheels began turning in terms of where we ended up with with this book. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. It's a, a, a really interesting subject. That that study that you refer to actually was by a guy called Mike Joyner, and he predicted that the co the best possible levels of, of running economy, VO2 max and lactate threshold, the best possible time that could be achieved by a man is uh, 157.58. Yeah. Um, wow. And that's as, as good as it'll get. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, and there's a there's a couple of recent documentaries from Ineos on the the one five nine challenge that, and they've asked all of uh, Kipchoge's training partners about what how fast they think he's going to do it. Oh, cool. And obviously, you know, they've got his back, so we can sort of, you know, perhaps their assessments aren't particularly, you know, but you know, some of them are saying he's got a one fifty eight in him. So I mean, there's there's some punchy chat already out there, there for is. this for this challenge in September, October. Yeah, October. October in Austria. One uh, one criticism I've heard about this book, Andy, is that it concentrates almost exclusively on male runners, and I mm-hmm. guess the 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 sub two um, challenges. It's it's going to be a male runner who does that certainly first. Yeah. Do you think that in any way uh, is a failing of the book that doesn't talk more about the, the female uh, marathon? Yes, yes, possibly. I mean, as you say, uh, it's likely that the sub two, um, more than likely, the sub two barrier will be broken by a man just because they are, are running faster in in marathon environments. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's about Kenyan male runners, basically the the kind of marathon strand of this. Um, so yeah, I, I I guess you could you could you could level that at it. Um, I think the other thing about it is that um, you know Ed Caesar hitches his wagon to Jeffrey Mutai, mm. and of course, in the course of his research, he has to make a choice of of which character he's going to uh, follow. And I suppose at the at the time, Mutai looked like the star, right. and actually, Mutai's career blossomed and then fell away pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, although that adds to the kind of poignancy because he really just had two or three years in the sun, as it were, as, a, as an elite marathon runner. It's not like he's still around. Um, you know, one of the interesting... It's it's laced with interesting detail. You know, after he becomes successful and becomes a, a dollar millionaire, he still chooses to train in Kenya in a one-roomed, one-roomed house. Mm. And you know, doing his own washing, uh, washing himself in a bucket because he believed, and he didn't have to. He believed that actually self-sufficiency and sacrifice was was a was a training, a training approach that really helped. Uh, and actually, Ed Caesar believes that um, Kalenjin Kenyans being born into hardship and poverty is part of the secret of their their um, running success because they know what it's like to suffer. That's, I think that's, uh, yeah. that's the Zatopec approach too, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, because he would run with his wife while wearing army boots in the snow. <laughs> yeah. Or dip his feet into buckets of ice just to make himself tougher. Uh, yeah. And, and he wasn't bad in the end. <laughs> he did okay, did he? Well, thanks very much, Andy. Maybe we could go to John. John, what book have you picked? I have picked um, Chris McDougall's publishing Juggernaut, uh, Born to Run, which uh, I don't know whether uh, anything more can be said about it, but I'll give it a go. It's a wildly enthusiastic, sometimes over-the-top story about the uh, uh, very shy and some would say primitive Tarumara uh, tribe in um, the Copper Canyon in Chihuahua, northwestern Mexico. Um, think Tarumara, just think of, a, of an Irish heroine in a terrible novel and you're halfway there <laughs> the correct pronunciation. And um, reporter and author MacDougall uh, re- refers to them as a near-mythical tribe of Stone Age super-athletes, which uh, gives some indication to the kind of uh, style he's approached. They are a very shy bunch of people, uh, but they are apparently extraordinary runners, and uh, they'll think nothing of running up to 50 or 100 miles uh, a day. They make running part of their lives. It's part of the social fabric, and they do it all in these uh, very basic flat shoes made of uh, rubber. Um, 
that have since been picked up by uh, certain American manufacturers. The book has sold three million copies and it's been made into a film at some point apparently, so its popularity uh, cannot be denied. MacDougall was a runner who was consistently injured and so through uh, this eccentric uh, American runner called Caballo Blanco, also known as Mika True, he came across the Taramara and the book follows the progress uh, of these guys as they try to arrange a race in Copper Canyon uh, with the Taramara and against some of the finest uh, US long distance athletes, including Scott Urich, who is possibly the best of all time. Um, interspersed with all of this, there are stories and potted histories of certain other athletes, such as Atapak, and we mentioned a bit earlier on, and Dina Castor. And he mentions other races that uh, the Taramara have taken part in, such as the Leadville 100. And Later on, there's a lengthy digression about the history of running and the evolution of running and how we became the people we are through, he argues, and other scientists have argued, uh, running. What I like about this book is the enthusiasm. It's such, it's just, it's fascinated with the subject and he's clearly a fanboy and it's very entertaining. Uh, And you can read it even if you're not a runner, Um, although it does presume a certain degree of knowledge, but it's written in such a vibrant, punchy style that uh, you can go with it throughout and I'm inclined to take uh, as the best summation of it from Ambie Burfoot, former OW, uh, US editor, who said, it's a running book. The tangents are all running related, running and shoes, running and running form, running and performance nutrition, running and evolution. If you don't like the asides, and there are plenty, that's me, you can skip to the race. Uh, so it culminates in this very exciting last couple of chapters in which these uh, uh uh, Taramara people run against these great runners and I won't tell you what happens although given that 3 million have already read <laughs> a number of people already know the outcome uh, it's a thrilling read by and large Which, Was it the the running aspects of it that you, you enjoy the most or is it actually sort of the insight into this culture that exists and separately and these guys just run and that's part of what they do That's the most interesting part of it yeah. is the insight into this culture uh, into this ancient tribe and the other bits are, to me, less interesting. Mm. Um, they are lengthy digressions. They go on chapters here and there. Yeah. And he does have a habit of inserting himself into um, situations and to recreate them in a way that simply couldn't, he couldn't know because he wasn't there. <laughs> but yeah. that's a that's a uh, that's a style of new journalism that emerged in the late 60s. So that's not new at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and he does have the very particular American style. So either you're going to go with it or you're just going to become a bit ticked off that he's in the thoughts of another runner when he simply couldn't have been. Got it. Mm. Yeah. What do you? Because I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a, a page turner. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves its success. But what I kept irritating me about the book, <laughs> was, I know, was, I know where you're going here. Was, uh, McDougall's. St- he kind of has got a tendency to. I don't think the story that he's chosen to tell needs exaggeration, but he exaggerates wildly in places, and he makes some very um, possibly arguable claims about, you know shoes being designed mm. to injure runners yeah, yeah um he makes a great sweeping statement at the start of the book saying that whenever america is in crisis yeah running yeah running becomes more popular yeah. like the post-vietnam yeah led to the jogging boom of the 70s <laughs> to, to, like, which, well, to which my rejoinder is is it happening now in america because god knows they're in crisis at the moment <laughs> true point made uh, so I found that a little bit distracting yeah I find that kind of distracting too and some of the writing is straining a little bit to be uh, really exciting I'm going to just read out uh, one this is early on when it comes to ultra distances nothing can beat a Tarumara runner not a racehorse not a cheetah not an Olympic marathon well 
none of these no. does ultra distances. A cheetah <laughs> famous for running <laughs> hundreds of miles. <laughs> that's that's like saying nothing can beat Natara Mara, not a John Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Pretty easily done. yeah. yeah. Uh, were, you, were you inspired, John, to um, to kick off your shoes and try barefoot running off? No, I wasn't for uh, two reasons. One, it really hurts my feet to do that. <laughs> and the other is that because it's not a critical book, he's such a fanboy mm. that there's never the other opinion discussed. Like he brooks no dissent. Like the people he doesn't like in the book, he doesn't like them a lot. And that's primarily Nike. Yeah. And he's got no time for the Nazis either. No. And uh, he... There are certain people described in the book who have, since it came out, wished they'd been consulted a bit more beforehand. Even Caballo Blanco later on said that he wished it had been a chance to proofread it because the depiction of him as this wild eccentric wasn't really who he was. And um, he since unfortunately died, but he didn't like uh, having to live up this image that had been created for him. But the success is deserved. It's a really thrilling read. Um, Pinch of salt in certain places. Yeah. I mean, its impact is undeniable. Oh, though. Yeah. You, you, you're a you. You shed shoes for this from this book, didn't and you? And tears. Oh, yes. I, I did. I think I wouldn't be in this job if it wasn't for Born to Run. There I think you go. It had that that big an impact on me because I wasn't really running before reading it. Um, well, what was it for you that uh, had the impact? I just think it's such an inspiring read, um, and I think that it's particularly inspiring if you don't know much about running coming to it because you can believe it all. You can think, that's amazing. I am born to run. Okay, I went out and got the V-Brams. I got injured. But by that point, I'd sort of really in, like was inspired by running and really kind of had drunk some of the Kool-Aid. Um, and then you kind of work out, actually, like, some of this is, is a bit fast and loose with the truth. Mm, but mm. as far as a book that makes running seem really thrilling and exciting, I don't think there's a better book, actually, for that. Well... Let's talk about my book. <laughs> Having said that, Ben, tell us. Having about your said book. that, well, I'm going to throw a sort of uh, a literary spanner in the mix here, which is that as you're just, you know, rightly so, all talking about books that are quite emotive, 
and uh, conjure great sort of sentiment towards running. Mine is a very pragmatic training book. Yes. So uh, it's not necessarily... So I'm talking about Hanson's Half Marathon training uh, <laughs> training method book, which is, when I first started at Runner's World, one of the first books I picked up to read with a half marathon up coming up. And I'd used some training plans before, you know, books. That I'd and I got into it, and it's it made sense to me. I mean, it, and it offered me solutions to running problems that I had. Now, that's why I'm bringing the training book into this mix, because I feel like you take away great sentiment and ideals about running from these books and they inspire and they bring you forward. But when, when, when they put you somewhere like that, as yourself, you said, you went and got some Vibrams and you got injured. Sure. You see, so in my point of view, you read this book. Oh, no, none of that. It's telling you what to do. It informs your running a little bit more. Away you go with all this new, this new information that you're thinking, which is specific to your running journey. It's not someone else's journey. There's no sort of exaggeration to make it sound better. It's... I'm not going to say it's it's dry as a read, <laughs> but. <laughs> but I mean, you want, you might want to sort of not read it all at once. I'd say sort of choose chapters to sort of inform yourself and process and then go back to it. But I wanted to just, I'm going to talk about Hansons because it's the first one that I read and I enjoyed it because it, it, it taught me a lot. And I think the half marathon is a great distance to learn about when it comes to running and from a sort of purely um, scientific uh, physical capabilities race this is that perfect mix of speed and endurance and it sets you up for sort of shorter 10ks or, or the half or the marathon itself it kind of you know it's a really nice middle ground of learning how to train the body to work hard so that's my book love it what uh what is it about their training approach that you found amenable to you do they do anything different no, what's not the really. is it kind of <laughs> so it's quite high volume I think it's quite old school, so it's not like, um, and that's not necessarily great for me. I'm not particularly a high volume runner, so I, I, I don't do 60 mile weeks. I don't think my body's that, that good at that. But at the same time, with all training plans that I've ever really used, you adapt them, I mean, really to yourself. So when I was reading it, it was more just actually sort of the processes. It's the build up. It's the structured around when to do sessions, how to manage, you know, how to manage those sessions. The hard and the hard and fast stuff that really matters when it comes to getting good at a race. That's where the book really kind of like shone for me in terms of like, uh, I guess, as a new as a newbie, as a sort of a, as a rookie runner, I was kind of like learning on the fly. So I was a bit like, oh, I've done some running before, and then all of a sudden you read this book and it tells you about how to get faster, but not just like you know the ins and outs. And I that was that that really, yeah. But but back to yours, yeah. It's it's there's no it's not. It's not it's not new because it's quite an old book now, but there's no real new science to it. But at the time, it was it was pretty much on the money in terms of how to how to do it properly. I remember this is a quote by Frank Zappa, and he, he was talking about music journalism. He said writing about music is a bit like dancing about architecture. Right, and his, and his sort of his point was, it's just the wrong medium to, to discuss it. You can't like sum up the the passion and, yeah. and and the immediacy of music in words. Do you think that the running book? actually works do you think that do you think a book ever actually te like gives you that kind of the same excitement as actually just going running yeah 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 if you're prepared to go uh to go with it and uh, allow for the fact that it will be somebody in somebody's head talking about what's going on in their head mm. and to their body and they can present something outside of that as well then yeah why not it's uh and, and clearly it's working yeah um and these books are very well received and they, they sell well and they're uh critically acclaimed so uh, there's a market for them. Yeah, and, free and, and the good ones are terrific. Yeah. 
Talking about terrific running books. Come on then, what's yours? It's no coincidence, Ben, that running's best book comes courtesy of running's best writer. I speak, of course, of Feet in the Clouds by Richard Asquith. Um, for those unfamiliar with this mighty tome, it's um, an homage to the obscure northern sport of fell running, written by a 13-stone southern toff. And that's Richard Asquith's description, not mine. Um, what I love most about the book is the quality of the writing, um, which is every bit as beautiful as the kind of Lakeland uh, landscape that it describes. A um, couple of lines from, uh, from the first page. This is how death must feel, not the pain. Although I imagine most deaths must be painful, but the fear. This is not despair. This is the raw animal distress of the wounded and terrified. Blimey, calm down, It's man. a lot better than, <laughs> it's a lot better just, than I, it's a lot better than I hit the wall, isn't it? I did four miles at lunch. I didn't anything like that. <laughs> um, also, like the fact the book is quintessentially British. So, um, whereas in Born to Run, you have the kind of sun-baked copper canyons and the quasi-mystical um, Taramar Indians. Uh, in Feet in the Clouds, you have sort of the rain-soaked lake district and a bunch of eccentric sheep farmers. Um, and it's a reminder to me that you don't have to travel far to have a running adventure. Mm. Actually, a lot of that stuff is in the wild places of Britain. Um, some of the book's best moments come when Asquith describes fell running's uh, mavericks. Um, my particular favourite is the late, great Eddie Campbell, who's perhaps the only man to have run up Ben Nevis 800 times, <laughs> and certainly the only one to do so while wearing only a pair of battered green flash plimsolls and a red bandana. He was wearing shorts on as well. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, alongside it is Asker's own attempt to complete the Bob Graham round. It's a classic fell running challenge uh, involving the scaling of 42 peaks within 24 hours. And um, without spoiling the ending, it's a journey full of up and downs, uh, literally, and provides a bit of a really compelling narrative. Um, he never pretends to be a running expert at all. He's, he's the opposite. He says he kind of positions himself as a bit of a novice. Uh, but there's some really, really good advice in there. And he's struggling on this 10-mile run about two weeks out from one of his Bob Graham attempts. And he, and he, he says, uh, so I made a deal with myself. Do this run without stopping and you will do the Bob Graham. I knew this was nonsense, as such deals always are. I also knew it was true. To surrender now would be to surrender always. If I wished to have anything more to do with fell running, there was only one option. Keep going. Keep going. Whatever happens, however long it takes, however much it hurts, keep going or die trying. All moments are contained in this moment. Master this moment and anything is possible. And I think that's great. If you're ever trying to train for a marathon, you think, God, this, this session is really difficult. And you think, if I can't do one more rep here, like this dream of me running this certain time for a marathon, I might as well just give up now. Like all moments are contained in this one moment. I think that's really great running advice. Um, like any great book, I think it changes uh, the reader's life. If you, if you read it, there's definitely no way I would have tried the Ennerdale Horseshoe, one of the classic Lakeland Fell races, had I not read the book. And I definitely shouldn't have tried that. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a question about possibly the troubled legacy of, of this book. Um, but I think even if you've got no intention of going fell running, it's worth reading it just for the quality of the language. It's, it's really beautiful. And at the last page, he, he, um, he starts pondering his own mortality. So I'll just read you this last bit. And the thought for some reason slips into my head that when it is my turn to die, there might be worse ways to repair than to gaze once more on a site like this. Perhaps, I muse, one or more of my children might consider taking me to Keswick in my last days, and depending on their fitness and mine, leading me or wheeling me on one final expedition into the mountains. And though I may have lost the power of speech by then, my escorts can reasonably assume that as I gaze, my head will be full of fell-running joy and glory, of Joss Naylor hurrying invincibly through endless scorched rock fields, of Pete Bland, trance-eyed with delight on the Ambleside finishing line, and of Kenny Stewart, dancing like an angel on the points of needle-sharp rocks, light and sure-footed as the rest of us are in dreams. 
Take a bow, Richard Lewski. If you've written Running's best book, clearly. A lot of, a lot of death in that book. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking that. Yes. He mentioned death a lot. Yeah, each, each excerpt you read contained uh, references to death. Also, lots of stuff about about life, life really, <laughs> and the life-enhancing joys of fell riding. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic book. I think, I think that the, the, the book you choosing this book tells us more about you, Rick, as a, a certified romantic man rather than the book itself. <laughs> well, it is it is a romantic book. It definitely is, and he's a very romantic writer, Richard Asquith, and very lyrical. Um, and it's, it's a deeply personal book. Um, and like one of, one of the points there about kind of propelling me into the lakes to try fell running, I think is one of the criticisms that the book has. It's that it kind of opened the door to yeah. southern softies such as myself into what is a very private sport. Um, and I would imagine Chaskiff probably feels quite troubled about that because I think he was very aware that he was sort of dipping his toe into a world that he's not perhaps... You can't take that approach with a book, though. That just you, know, you don't write the book then. You know, that's true. And, and that's true. Why would you do that? Would you censor yourself in such a fashion? Mm. Also, isn't the uh, I, I haven't I've read the book, but I haven't done a fell race, so I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of I enjoyed the kind of lyrical aspect of it. But I, I got the impression that the fell running community is actually quite welcoming of is the that, book? Of, of 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 newcomers and people who are going to dip their toes in and yeah, try I the think, sport. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it get it, there's a kind of idea that. Phil, like Phil running to this very insular, perhaps unwelcoming thing. But I, yeah, that's not, in my very brief experience, that wasn't the case at all. In fact, on the uh, Ennerdale horseshoe, we were very much dependent on the goodwill of Phil runners actually getting us around safely. So, yeah, I think that's that it's much more welcoming than perhaps it's made out to be. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's just another one of the examples of a book that's focused around a very unique side of running is is what makes that story... I mean, it's obviously very sure. well written, but it's that part of it that makes it very engaging. So you've mm. got this in, you know, we all might be aware of the fell running community, but it's much like, you know, a tribe of people that we've never heard of before running. It's immediately engaging because mm. you're suddenly just like, what the hell are they talking about? This sounds mental. Who runs like that? And then straight away you're in. And that's why the book, you know, it has running has that great ability to not just be about the, the daily rigours of going for a run. There's like these real sort of like cultural significant movements happening that are mm. then suddenly turned into these great books. Yeah, and I think in some ways it was an unlikely, you know, the film running, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the obvious thing to write about. They're quite an unlikely community to give rise to this kind of iconic running. Well, it's but, a testament yeah. to good writing too. And you can yeah. take a topic that's that esoteric and, and little known and uh, turn it into a very fine and well-received book, then, yeah. you know, you've done it. Very quickly, any running books that you dislike or ones you're disappointed by? Uh, Murakami's book disappointed me. Me too. Um, because I didn't quite know what he was trying to get across and what he did get across I didn't find terribly interesting. Apart from that though. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that he was, because he was possibly the most celebrated author to ever write mm. about running. He was going to bring something to the table that we'd never thought of before. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it, that I didn't think about running in And he's way. put it so beautifully. But yes, exactly. I didn't yeah. get any yeah. of that in, in it. Have you read it, Andy? Murakami, yes. Uh, and I can't, uh, I can't really remember yeah. a lot of what it was about, just a lot of philosophical mm. musings, musings. Yeah. Um, which haven't really stuck with me. So yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I, I just asked some, asked some friends what they like. My mate Andy came back with one called Footnotes. By Vibar Krieg and Reed. Right. If anyone's read that, I've never read it, but this is just on the list now. So that's yeah. another thing. There's another one for everyone to check out. Yeah. And uh, I recommend uh, Marathon Man by William Goldman. It's a thriller, but it's an excellent one. <laughs> <laughs> and there is some running in it. There we go. And uh, Island Joggings, uh, <laughs> a very little known 
self-published <laughs> self-published memoir um worth checking out well yeah we do we do receive quite a few self-published ones do. Door, of um mixed uh quality i would say i'd say so um annie and john thanks so much for coming on and talking more about uh, your favourite running books. Great to very have you great pleasure. pleasure. We'd like to, um, I think, all anyone who listens who who agrees or wants to vote, cast a vote. Yeah, on, go on, on. Which 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 book you think is best? Obviously, mine. Um, email us at podcast.runnersworld.co.uk, um, and we'll probably put something up on the internet so everyone can vote once we've uh, once this is live. Ben. Who who monitors the email address? Uh, me. Interesting. <laughs> this is the Runner's World podcast. That was some fantastic book chat. Very, we're going very high brow, aren't we? No, nah, one episode. We'll go back to the normal <laughs> stuff before. But keeping it high brow, we're going to welcome into the studio now, Jane McGuire, with some weekly running news. Hello. Jane, what's been catching your eye this week? Um, I'm going to start with the worst story of right. the week. It's dark. Prepare you all. Um, a runner has been murdered oh. by a mother and son oh over the use of a footpath which ran across their property. And Gary Dean, who is the runner, ran London Marathon 18 times. Oh, my God. Very sad. Where where was this? This was in Barnsley. In oh, right. South okay. Yorkshire. His, his route went across the Dawson's. Is that correct? The family, I think so yeah, um, across the land and uh, years of disputing it and you know back and forth apparently between the the two has resulted in this man's untimely death. That's terrible, right? Yeah. So how things escalate? Yeah. So well. that is a bit of stark running news there. Yeah. And then to lighten things, um, Jess Anderson, who we might all remember, the nurse who ran um, three hours eight in London yes. and she was wearing scrubs and there was this whole thing with the Guinness World Records and yeah right you know the, the, the uniform um, she's been awarded a silver medal by the chief nursing officer to recognise her excellence that's oh, that great nice, yeah and what in terms of that, that's an award I assume just sort of for the nursing community yeah and the Chief Nursing Officer Dr. Ruth May said that part of what she did was leave a legacy that the uniform perception had to change. Yeah. So, okay. you know, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the greater power of running. Yeah. So the idea that you can be that you could be a doctor in in scrubs as opposed to sort of you know just the, I think your it was yeah yeah so the, the so the the pre the preconceived notion of what a nurse's uniform was kind of like your Halloween fancy dress sexy nurse right that was right. what the world record holder was. Was well, it was attributed before? Yeah, it had to be uh, a dress, right? Right. Obviously, women. And she ran in her scrubs, which is yeah. her uniform. And so there was a whole hubbubaloo about the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, Guinness World Record were were, were great. They apologised and said, "You're right. This is a, your uniform, and you are now the world record holder." Oh, that's good. So there um, we go. Yeah. And last news, which is shocking, is a 12-year-old who has run in Vancouver a 10k in. 36 minutes, 52 seconds. Is it? She's also <sighs> done a 5K in 17 minutes. So not a fluke? That, no. Uh, no. And uh, she said, I don't really train, I just run. That's, that's, oh. It's frankly sickening. <laughs> but well done to her. It's amazing, isn't it? You're it's 12-year-old like girl, 36-52. My words. It's amazing. Considering that the majority of 12-year-olds... Are probably more inactive than they've ever been in the in the yeah. whole entire world of humans ever. Yeah, and then there's one just smashing out sub thirty seven. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I remember uh, I went to um to Park Run uh, about 
four months ago with my wife Georgie, who does listen to this, and she said, "My nemesis is here," <laughs> and, I, and I thought, "Oh, everyone's got everyone's got a everyone's got like a running nemesis," yeah. and, you know, and and, uh, and it's like saying I was looking around for like someone of a similar age, basically, and the crowd parts, and it's it was this like ten year old boy <laughs> who, was, who was running with his dad. It's like that's my nemesis. He always he always pips me at you know in the last fifty fifty yards. We actually did uh, finish before that person that day. That's I good. appreciate it's not a race, but I think there are these little rivalries do exist um, for sure. If you attend everything once a week, yeah. you're going to see the same faces, yeah. same kid. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. So yeah, you you know you can start you start thinking well you know get to twelve and certainly like fourteen fifteen you can some of these kids are absolutely rapid. My, my so I'm going to assume straight away that she's probably part of a running club or something like that. But when you someone like I always want to know like to suddenly is it like talent scouts like is there someone who reads that and suddenly goes we've got one and they go off and you know she's suddenly sponsored and she's like got she's in a training camp somewhere and she's like that's it that's her life set for her now because she's got this natural ability. Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel like if you were that good, if you were that good at football as a twelve-year-old, yeah, you'd be on. Oh, you'd you'd already books, be you'd already yeah. be in a in a youth academy something, wouldn't you? Mm. So we go. Well, what, what's her name again? I oh, I'm gonna say Sydney Serranga. Sel- right, everyone. Look. Sorry <laughs> if I've got that wrong. No, Sydney. It doesn't sound like your name. <laughs> <laughs> That's how exactly how she pronounces yeah. it. That's how she says it every day. Wow. This is a name for the future, everyone. Undoubt- Sydney. Undoubt- Sydney. How would you say that? Swyanga. 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 I'm going to go with. Thanks for clearing that up, Ben. Well, yeah, we go. Yeah. Rick, do you want to have a go? We can, you know, all three of us can be embarrassing. That's, um, yeah. that's Sydney Smith there from, <laughs> from Vancouver. No, yeah, absolutely amazing. Fair play, Sydney. 36.52. Not bad at all. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well done, the kids. This is the Runner's World Podcast. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. I'd like to say a huge thanks to our guests, Andy Dixon and John Carroll, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews, and much, much more from the wider world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com uk. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks to Acast, our hosting partner. And thanks very much to you for listening. We will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.